John Wesley Hardin is an important figure in my family. Um, if you didn't grow up in Texas or didn't know much about West Texas, that he was an old outlaw um, in the late 19th century. He was a gun shooter. He, he rustled cattle. He, like, thieved and, and maimed and all sorts of nasty things. Um, you know, if you were a Methodist as well, you recognize the name John Wesley Hardin. Um, there's like, we're not related to him. Don't worry. That's okay. Um, but there was a Methodist connection. He was a, um, a PK. He was a preacher's kid. And so we're hoping at least, at least Dominic and Ephraim can be a little better than John Wesley Hardin. That'll be good. But uh, he grew up in, in Comanche, Texas. And in Comanche, that's where his, his father was the preacher, was the Methodist preacher who was sent to Comanche. Um, and that's where one of my ancestors, Frank Wilson, was a sheriff. Frank Wilson was from a Quaker family, but he had fought for the North in the Civil War, and then so kind of like step left the Quaker stuff behind, and then immigrate and then immigrated to Texas because it is a, an immigration. When people move to Texas, it, you immigrate again. Because um, that's what my my wife Elena, who's, who's not here right now, but she talks about she immigrated from Romania to Israel is one, Israel to Ohio is another. Um, and then, like, the north to Texas is the fourth, and that's, that's their life. <laughs> it's, it's different, you know? Yeah. But so anyway, so, so Frank Wilson was the sheriff, and, and John Wesley Hardin was, like, about as bad a PK as you could be. He was wrestling, he was messing around, doing, doing nasty things. And um, he went over and had, now, Wes, now, Wes, i got to talk to you, Wes. And that's how, that's how the, my family tells this story, and he arrested. He had to arrest um, little Wes. Um, and then Wes escaped from prison. He was not my... My ancestor was not a fantastic sheriff. He did not keep a really tight watch. <laughs> and then later, like, when Hardin had an interesting life, he went on to become a, went to prison for 15 years, and then became a lawyer, um, probably a good basis for law, practicing law. And then, and then was shot in the back of the head in a poker game in El Paso. But, um, yeah, so, that's insane. So, I tell this story, because um, this is where my name comes from. Wilson. It's from Frank Wilson and his family. And that's, that's that kind of story, you know? Most of the time, like, children are named after or for something or because you think the name is cool. I think there's a reason. Like, it's not like a random happenstance. And sometimes those, those reasons are, like, really super deep and intimate. And sometimes they're like, oh, I haven't heard this name in a while. I'm going to pick this one. Um, but it's still, like, we're, we're shaped by our names, but we're also shaped by, by stories deeper than our names. What are the stories that form you? What are the stories that go deeper than your name? What are the stories that shape us as a people? My friends, we are starting a new series on the Exodus, on this foundational story of freedom in the Bible. Because we must remember that our God hears our cries. Our God breaks chains. Our God sets us free. The Exodus, Exodus is the second book in the Bible that is the foundational story of the Jewish people. Though the, in Genesis, there's, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's stories of Joseph. It is in the Exodus and the giving of Torah on Mount Sinai that the covenant is firmly established. The holiest day of the year for the Jewish people is Passover. It is this ceremonial retelling of the story. There's all sorts of things you can't, can or can't eat. But the most important thing is the retelling of the story of the Exodus. In, in many Haggadahs, which are the liturgies for Passovers, it says that um, a blessing to you, a mitzvot to you, if you are uh, very gregarious and, and detailed and interesting in your telling of the story, because you're supposed to tell it to the next generation. 
And so you're trying to tell as much as possible and keep the attention of four-year-olds as long as possible. <laughs> so it's a tricky thing, but that's why you tell it every year. You tell the story every year because it is so foundational so that the story becomes embodied in those who hear it. For Christians, the Exodus shows us a prefiguration of our freedom through the cross of Jesus Christ. Even more so, the story of the Exodus is a story of resurrection. It was a people who were dead and lost in slavery who arise again. The parallels are deep and varied to the point that without the Exodus and the story of Moses and the people, even if you know, when I say Exodus, all you think about is like um, Charlton Heston. Um, like, that's okay. Like, that's, it's, the sto- it's a retelling of the story. But without that story, the New Testament and the life of Jesus are completely incoherent. This is the story that was on the hearts of all the people who followed Jesus. This is the story in the back of their heads, the story that's being told and retold again and again. This is what they were expecting. They were expecting a new Moses. This is what the Mashiach, the Messiah, was going to be, was going to rescue the people who are basically in captivity and to set them free again. As well, the story of the Exodus is not the prettiest of stories. There are a lot of hard words said. There are a lot of hard things done. The miracles that, that Moses does to astound Pharaoh and the Egyptians, a lot of them end up pretty bloody and bad. One, one response that we can make to reading something in the Bible that's hard to read is to ignore it. I think that's what most of us do. We see something like, ah, and then kind of move on. Another, another response is to cut it out. This is something that people have done. Thomas Jefferson, famously, the, our third president, he had his own edit of the Bible. He took a King James Bible and scissors and tape and cut out the Gospels and took um, all four Gospels and, and crammed them down to 17 chapters, making sure that there were no miracles or anything supernatural. And so he would just cut out those verses and he taped it up. And that's the Jefferson Bible. That's a thing that exists. That's one response. Like, I don't agree with this, so I'm just going to cut it out and ignore it completely from my life. You know? um, but there are, he was not the first editor in this way. About the same time as Jefferson was making his Bible, the Missionary Society for the Conversion of the Negro Slaves started publishing a Bible for the slaves in the Caribbean. And they probably thought of themselves wonderful because, hey, it's like, hey, we're teaching slaves to read, and most slaveholders don't do that. And yet, when they made this edit of the Bible, 90% of the Old Testament was cut out, and 50% of the New Testament was cut out. Um, the text jumps from Genesis 45 to Exodus 19. It jumps from Joseph welcoming his family to suddenly they're on Mount Sinai and giving laws. And like, they keep all the laws. That Bible loves all the laws. It just cuts everything else out. Now, if slavers wanted to cut this story out, we need to tell it more boldly. And the story of the Exodus begins with the people crying out to God. Before it, the, what happens at the end of Genesis is, is Jacob, who's kind of a scoundrel, and we'll get to Jacob again later, but he's just not a nice guy. And when you read Jacob, it's okay to think, like, this is not a nice guy. Um, because it's amazing that God works through Jacob. Like, that's the power of the story of Jacob is grace, is that Jacob doesn't deserve any blessing he gets. Because over and over again, he lies and he cheats and he steals, and God has mercy on him. But Jacob has a lot of sons by different women. Again, it's, it's different. Um, and he has a favorite son, which again is like kind of awkward to, apparently to have. I, it would especially be awkward if you had 12 sons and you had one favorite. 
um, that you kept on buying fancy clothes for and all the other ones you ignored. <laughs> like, that would be... I can imagine it would be frustrating as a sibling to be like, why does he get everything and I'm, like, eating cow? Um, but, but that's... And so, but then the brothers kind of overreact to this. They take it kind of a little too far, and they decide, okay, we're going to kill you. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to be, we're so good-hearted, so we're going to sell you to slavery. Um, like, just how, just, we're just so, such nice people. Um, and so, but then God is with Joseph, and Joseph is a, is a holy person, and Joseph always leans on God. And Joseph ends up finding himself in worse and worse situations, but God is with him, and God protects him. And he ends up rising up to this position of authority in Egypt and basically becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And there's a great famine in the land and Joseph knew it was coming and prepared for it and had gathered all this grain and was ready. And so people from all over the world are coming and his brothers come to Egypt. And, you know, there's this, I think there's like, it seems like he's about to go ha 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 in in your face, as most of us would do. Um, But he doesn't. He forgives them. He has mercy and he welcomes them and he welcomes his father and he welcomes his younger brother, Benjamin. And they come and stay in Egypt. But they grow numerous. And that's where we begin in Exodus 1. They grow numerous. Things have changed for the Hebrew people in Egypt. A new ruler rises and is jealous. And so a system of oppression develops eventually to full slavery. But this is where we discover the character of our God. We read these, Lucky read those verses from Exodus 1. There isn't a verse that says, and the people cried out to God. But God hears their cries. Probably 20 times in the rest of Torah, in the rest of the first five books, God says, for I heard the cry of my people in Egypt. For I heard the cry of my people in Egypt. God hears us crying out. God listens to the voices crying out for freedom. As well as in crying out for freedom, the family of Joseph becomes a nation. Pharaoh's plan backfires. The children of Israel transition from a family to a nation through crying out to God. A nation that threatens Pharaoh's rule. There is a power to our tears, my friends. There is a power to our crying out to God. The Psalms are filled with these cries. Save me, O Lord, for the waters have come to my neck. I have grown hoarse in crying to my God. And God hears our cries today. God hears the cries of our friends and our loved ones. For we cry out against the very brokenness that Jesus came to bind up and heal. In Exodus, a nation is resurrected. In the church, the world rises again in grace. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in the book of Galatians. And in the reading from Luke, we see that captivity captivity is literally demonic. Demons take people captive and replace the voice of the people. They can no longer speak for themselves. They can no longer act for themselves. And yet Jesus says, be silent and come out. God is not a genie ready to grant us three wishes. So often when we read the verse later in Luke, in chapter 11, when he says, ask and it shall be granted. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened for you. This is not, you get three wishes. You get one ask, you get one seek, and you get one knock. And that's it. (laughs) 
That's not what Jesus is saying. The context of which I think so often needs to be the context of crying out to God. We seek God not from a place of comfort, but from a place of humility, from a place of need. We seek out God not because, oh, it might be kind of cool, but because we are in need of a savior. We are in need of a comforter. God is the source through whom we live and move and have our being. As well, this world we live in is broken by sin. Some of us live in different gradations of brokenness, but it is ever-present. That is, for some, that brokenness is more acute. For the people mentioned in the Beatitudes, for the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for the hungry, for the persecuted, and God hears us. And God hears us. Jesus is asked over and over again, what is the greatest commandment? He's asked this again and again, and his first answer is always the Shema from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength. Why should we love God? This is an implied thing. I think that's not a stupid question. Why, you know, I guess that's the first commandment. I need to love God, but why should I love God? And later in Deuteronomy 6, that question is answered. When the prophet says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God has done great things and God will do great things for us. The stories of the Bible are not simply moral lessons. The church is a story-formed community. If we do not tell the story of freedom, we cannot be a people of freedom. If we do not remember that God hears our cries, we are not going to cry out to God. Our closing hymn in a little bit is going to be um, O Come, O Traveler Unknown. By, by uh, Charles Wesley. It's one of my favorites. It's a great one. There's our hymnal. It's wonderful whenever you get to it, the, the facing page. So we're going to sing four verses um, because I've, I love Vicky so much, but she won't let me do all 20. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, a song about Jacob wrestling with the angel. It's a song about wrestling with God. It's a song about crying out to God. Not really deserving it, but holding on. Jacob wrestling with the angel is such a is a powerful scripture for me in many cases because nothing in his life pointed to him being able to stand in that space. Over and over again he took the easy way out. Over and over again he he ignored his responsibilities. He's, he's sitting on the side of the river because he's afraid his brother's going to kill him. And so in order to, because of that, he sends all his family in the way so that his brother will kill them first. Like, this is not a good dude. And yet, and yet there is mercy. There is mercy here in his crying out to God, and God hears him. The second verse, I need not tell thee who I am. My misery and sin declare who I am. My misery and sin declare. The, the, the song, the poem is so powerful, it moves from this, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to let go. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to let go. And that, I think so much, reminds me of grief. Reminds me of pain. Reminds me of those times when we feel overwhelmed. Because we hold on to God, and, but we don't know why. We don't know what's going to happen. 
but we can still hold on to God. And God is still with us. The last verse we sing, "'Tis love, tis love, thou diedst for me, I hear thy whisper in my heart. The morning breaks, the shadows flee, pure universal love thou art to me, to all thy mercies move. Thy nature and thy name is love. When we hold on to God, when we cling to God, when we cry out like the people, we see more clearly the heart of our Lord. We see more clearly that thy nature and thy name is love. May we never cease crying out to God for our country, for our church, for our world, for our lives, for our friends, for our souls. Let us cry to God. Let us moan to our Lord. May the tears of our eyes be the prayers of our soul. As one of my teachers said, to cry is a grace, a great grace. It is a charism of the Holy Spirit, transforming the dryness of our heart and the egoism of our life. If you are in a place that feels like Egypt, you are not alone. If there are people in your life who are in places that feel like Egypt, they are not alone. Our God hears us. And our Redeemer has come and will come again to make all things new. To wipe every tear from our eye, to turn our mourning into dancing. But today, let us not be ashamed of crying out, lest we forget the magnitude of what God did to the people in Egypt. The magnitude of what God is doing in each of our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.